0: All right, so uh, welcome to the fourth episode. Uh, should I say fourth? Because what if I don't publish this as the fourth? Welcome to another episode of the Wade the Elephant podcast. Um, I've got my guest host, you may remember from the first episode.
1: Hello, hello. Uh,
0: it's Garrett. Garrett, yes, it is Garrett. Uh, And so we're just going to record another episode of this podcast. Um,
1: What do you want to talk about today? I want to talk about the awkward formative years, uh, maybe 13 to 16 years old. Uh, Something recently happened that uh, jarred some memories for me. Uh, My mother is moving, and I'm helping. Well, she's in the process of selling her house and moving, And I'm helping her get her stuff together. And I came across... Well, I didn't. One of my family members came across a drawer of old stuff. And we threw most of it out. But in that drawer was probably one of the most valuable things I've ever found in my entire life. My older brother, Dale, kept a a journal from the age of maybe 13 to 16. It's only about 12 pages. Uh, It was probably the most interesting read I've ever had. And without humiliating him too much, um, he kept signing off as Sinbad because his friends in school named him Sinbad because of the haircut that he had. And I think he thought it was a compliment, but looking back, I'm not sure if Kent Christensen meant it as a compliment. Um, And uh, what I found was a lot of angst. I found him aching to be liked by a girl and i found it, it was almost there was parts where i was almost saddened because it showed a vulnerable side to him but he kept using AC/DC, warrant and like guns and roses lyrics to explain how he felt like as as brian adams from acdc says blah 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 and i just remember being it was like, as brett michaels and poison says give me something to believe in and i'm like oh my god this is too good to be true. And then he promised me song lyrics in the back of the journal. I searched, and he didn't write them out.
0: You mean he promised himself yes. song lyrics? Yes. As in, like, see Appendix A.
1: He was like, I'm going yeah. to begin writing song lyrics in the back of this book. I Almost as if he was talking, like, someday this was going to be uncovered when he got famous as a musician. So... There were some other things in there that are more personal. One thing that was really neat about it was at the very... His last entry was when he met his now wife when he was 17 years old. And she was like 15. And they met at the roller skating rink and they fell in love. And he was like, I think I found the girl I'm going to be with for a long, long time. And it was really neat. I can't wait to give it to him. Um, because it's really neat to see that where where he's come over the last 17 years since he met her. So... Uh, that part is really encouraging. I and he's a,
0: he's still with this same yes, this same girl. Three so, kids,
1: married. So what is that alive. to
0: say about you and I? Because it it seems that seventeen Dale had it figured out, and yeah. he's just going with that plan, and it's working for him. Yeah, it's crazy. Where uh, you and
1: I still are. Yeah, and and the, and, and he had a sense of conscience as a teenager that I never had. Like he would be like, I don't know, like he he would be contemplating being a good person. And I was just like, when am I going to get laid? <laughs> like, he actually had, like, dreams and, like... Uh, Aspirations. A conscience, yeah, a yeah, conscience, which was weird, foreign to me at that age.
0: Um, but, he, yeah, he always had, he always has been... I know Dale. He's the same age as I am. And I went to school with him. And I'm pretty sure I remember that haircut. Um, I don't remember him being called Sinbad, so... Whether that actually occurred, I don't know, or maybe he
1: came up with that on his own. And maybe Sinbad came from Wyndham, and I'm just assuming.
0: Yeah, Uh, but he has always been somebody that if, you know, every now and then people will say like, yeah, where do you see yourself in five years? Where do you see yourself in ten years? Dale would be the person to be like, well, this, 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 and this. Where anytime anyone has ever asked that of me, I'm like, I have no fucking idea. I don't even know if I'll be alive in a year from now. So I don't really try and think that far ahead. Like five years. What are you trying
1: to bum me out, man? You trying to harsh my mellow? Yeah. I I like the way you said that. And, And I, and okay. So to be fair, to be fair in this, in this circumstance, if I'm going to tell some of my brothers dirty laundry, I think it's only fair that I share a, a self deprecating story of my own. If, if you'll have me. Oh, yes, definitely. Um, at about the age of 13, I was going into seventh grade, and I decided I wanted to try out for football because I felt I would excel in that, being shaped like a bowling ball. And I remember my first day, they decided that they were going to weigh us all in, and they had us stripped down to our underwear to weigh us in. Now, why we needed to strip to our underwear and weigh in for football, I will never know. Um, this was before the Me Too movement, so I don't think those kind of questions were asked. Uh, and I just remember until that time, my only underwear selection was the, uh, famed tidy whitey, the cotton brief, if you will, Hanes or, or fruit of the loom. And I never questioned that there was other options. I just opened my dresser drawer every morning and my mother kept a plethora of, 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 I lived in a cocoon of cotton and I never knew what the other options were, and on this day, this was a day of like revelation and exploration. Because as I looked around the room, someone might have questioned my sexuality had they seen the look on my face. It had nothing to do with that. It was purely my mind was blown. But I was like, are these? Is that what boxer shorts are? Is that silk? I think I've seen a set of sheets made out of that material one time. Is that satin? I don't under- Is that crushed velvet? I don't, under- I don't know these materials. And as I was looking, I didn't even realize that briefs came in different colors. I was like, that guy's wearing... I was like, you know what? Tan briefs would be really handy after enchilada night. You know what I mean? So, and I, I'm looking along, and okay. out, of the, out of the corner of my eye, I spot something. You imagine if you saw a unicorn come walking past out of your peripheral vision? And like you almost don't want to look at first because you're like, it can't be it can't be real. And I remember as I glanced over, Ryan Rents, one of my classmates, was strutting around in a pair of leopard print bikini briefs. And I just remember I bet my jaw touched my my chest. I my my, my, my I, I, I couldn't contain my shock. My face must have completely betrayed it. And I just remember thinking, "Do those make him gay? Does me staring at him make me gay? Is he irresistible with the ladies what What do those things do, and what do they signify it just it It opened up a curiosity in my mind that i I couldn't quench and I went home that day feeling betrayed, and I confronted my mother and said why have you never allowed me to choose what I want to wear for undergarments? And she was like, I guess I just never thought that guys wore, you know, that she just, all of the men in our family grew up in tidy whities so that's what she thought was worn. And my father wore those, so there was no reason for her to question it. And I remember she said, if you would like, we can go underwear shopping next weekend. And I said, I'd like that very much. So we... We show up at, I think it was at Walmart, and we walk in there and we go to the men's section, and she says, Now, what kind of underwear do you want? Every rational piece of my brain said boxer shorts. But what came out of my mouth was bikini briefs. And I know that it was because, as an insecure, fat 13 year old kid, there was some. Wild part of my brain that said, "This is what manhood looks like. Real men wear bikini briefs. Like that's like you. That's what a real. I imagine Brett Michaels wears bikini briefs. You know. And I remember.
0: And everyone knows if you look up real man in the dictionary, there's a picture of Brett Michaels. I
1: imagine it's Randy Savage in a pair of bikini briefs. There you like, go. ooh, yeah. So. My mom, God bless her, didn't even blink. She just said, "Oh, okay." And we walked. I knew I was in waters too deep for myself when I when I couldn't find them anywhere and my mother asked an employee and they pointed up high and they were in a little plastic cylinder rolled up like a little tube of shame. And there was a three pack of them. And my mom was like, I don't think you're allowed to try them on and not buy them. So just (laughs) pick a size. And so I got the biggest size they had and I went home and I tried them on and those circulation robbing, I can't even use the word, but I remember trying them on and thinking, it feels like I have bungee cords uh, tourniqueting my thighs, but there was no way that I was going to cheat myself from the opportunity of wearing, and so I remember my first day of school walking around, and on the inside, I was the coolest kid in the entire St. James High School. Nobody needed to know that I had on a pair of red and black leopard print bikini briefs.
0: You went with leopard print as well. Huh? Oh, I was going to
1: ask you if uh... they didn't have a lot of options. Bikini briefs in 1993 were either leopard print or. I don't remember there being another option. Maybe a solid color, but Ryan Rents had leopard print, and there was no way I was going to tone my, turn the volume down on mine. In red and black, of course, the St. St. James High School colors. Of, colors so. of course, I'm being there patriotic. You go. Yeah, and that I just sense. remember the first day I got home from school, and I went in the bathroom and took them off, and I had these rings around my thighs and my waist, and I mean, it literally like almost like a rash, like a welt. And I remember thinking, okay, if I wear them eight hours a day and then I take them off, uh, then I can heal for the rest of the time. By the time I wake up tomorrow morning, my skin will be ready to wear them again. And I wore those horrible things for like a month and a half. And after all the washings and wearings, they never lost their resiliency. I was just as sore every day when I took them off. But I felt it was my cross to bear for the be- for beauty, you know? For that small, was my, It's a small price to pay for manhood. It, like was, that. My, it was a rite yeah. of passage. It was. You know, I remember one time a lady at my mom's church saying, beauty is pain. And I thought I could relate after that. And all of this came to an unmerciful end one day when I was walking down the hallway and my books fell out of my hand. And I bent over to grab them. And I remember my shirt slid up. And I didn't think that much about it until somebody probably Ryan Christensen, I don't know, yelled, hey, Loudermilk's got a thong on. And uh, I remember like I literally almost dove to the floor to keep anybody from seeing it. But there was a, a, a cascade of laughter as I got up and got my books and got out of there. And uh, that was the last day I wore the bikini briefs. I felt like um, I'd felt like i been exposed. <laughs> and suddenly my right into manhood was somebody said the word thong um, it crushed those ideas I had in my head that I was being a real man. Because up until
0: that point, you weren't thinking of it as a thong. No. Right? No.
1: No, I was wearing man britches, you know? Yeah. I, I was, I was, I had crossed over into a, uh, section of men who drove sports cars and had, uh, Fine leather jackets You know, in that time Yeah uh, Probably had a A nicely trimmed beard And a members only jacket
0: And a T-top firebird
1: Yes Yeah Yes, and probably wore Jabos with the pins in the ankles Because that was You know, that was what a man That was did. what you did back then Yeah, that story's not too uh, The story's a little bit embarrassing But the fact is my My whole Point of this is that Between the ages of maybe 12 and 17, I think every single person as they try and find themselves goes through a stage that if they were to really own it and be honest about it, there's a lot of comedy there, but there's also a lot of pain, some tragedy, uh, but it's relatable. And now when I look at my nieces and nephews who are going through that age, I, I try to be understanding and caring but I often find myself saying the kind of stuff to them. Uh, what
0: are you doing?
1: Yeah. And now I realize what my older relatives were doing when they when they hit me. And I used to think, oh, you can be supportive of me trying to... Exp-. I grew out my hair like T-Boz from TLC when I was like 15. I had the hair parted in the middle and the bangs were real long in the front. And then they faded up shorter when they got back by my ears. And I didn't realize that was a woman's haircut until I saw the crazy, sexy, cool... Uh, album cover on my sister's dresser, and I was like, "Jesus Christ, I have the, I'm, I have the haircut of a light-skinned m- black woman."
0: I may or may not have a picture with you with that haircut, and now I may or may not use that as the cover art for this episode.
1: Uh, I will tell you if you do that. <laughs> there will be consequences, but <laughs> yes. Yeah, so I don't know why that just popped into my head, but. No, you do not have that picture because before I met you, my father, in a rage, gave me a haircut in his bathroom one time. I think it was child abuse because he was mad at me about something else, and he's like, "Pardon my language, I don't like to swear a lot on the podcast, but he was like that that fucking haircut's coming off right fucking now and we went in the bathroom and he was shaking mad, and he had a cool he had a cool king in one hand pounding down a cigarette with a pair of scissors. And with his other hand, he was, like, pinching my hair between two fingers and cutting it. And when he got done, I felt traumatized. I felt abused. And I remember he had me look in the mirror, and he's like, that don't look too bad, does it? And I was like, no, no, Father, it looks fine. And then I uh, put a bunch of gel in my hair the next morning and slicked my hair back and wore it to school the rest of the week until I could get to my mom's on Friday and show her what he did and ask for a haircut. And she was pretty pissed off about it. But you... You
0: are assuming that I have that picture because it's a picture of when we knew each other, but you don't remember. I've got, like, full 8 by 10 pictures of you that were left behind in your dad's apartment, and you, you guys went through it. It was stuff that was all just like, no, get rid of this. So I've got well, Wait like a minute, your... wait a minute, wait a minute. Yes, wait a minute, so wait a minute. I'm wait almost a minute. positive I have that
1: picture. I'm pretty much sure that get rid of this meant fucking get rid of this. It didn't mean. I'm not throwing that out It didn't mean dig through the shit and cherry pick embarrassing pictures. I could of probably me find in that in 15 years. minutes.
0: It's probably in this house right now. I. I have at least three, and I think they're even bigger than 8x10. What's the size up by 8x10? By it was the
1: full eight size. 8x10, that's what it means. No, it was, I think it was bigger There's than no that. There's no way, we never ordered 11 x 14 you're on crack, but I'm going to now. It might be. I will burn this place to the ground <laughs> before I leave this house. If I believe, oh my goodness. You know what? I own my past, I own who I was. If you find that picture, and hey. it's the cover art for this podcast, I will respect I, the
0: fact. You know what I'll do? I will, if I do find that, and I do use it for the cover art, I will include a picture of myself from uh, my early childhood because my, hair, Your Jufo? my Jufo? hair was way worse than yours ever yes.
1: was. Well, I would appreciate this too, because if there was any pictures of Dale during his Sinbad era, I would appreciate it if you could find a couple of those, and, uh, and I, I love my brother. And I just think that um that he would really appreciate if he got to be a part of this too.
0: Yeah, I'll uh I, I know exactly what I'm gonna do now for the cover art okay. for this episode. So it's gonna be great. Nice. Um nice. The formative years, like you said, it is an awkward time as a kid and I can't imagine going through it now because the time that we went through it, there was no internet, there was no cell phones. Oh you God. didn't, you didn't oh have this God. constant bombardment
1: Ooh. with all these different things from everywhere. If my childhood had been on the gram, I think I would have been suicidal. I think if I had had to look back at some of those years, and it was uh, if it was on Facebook, I, I don't think I could have lived. I, I don't know. It, it is interesting though, because you,
0: you know, there would be different things that happened, whether it was a new movie came out, and it's like, oh, you're trying to look like Bruce Willis in Die Hard, or you're trying to be like this character there. But again, you didn't have the constant bombardment of, like, every day, just, hey, here's a new
1: influencer, and here's this, and here's that. At the age of 11, I spent an entire year speaking out of one side of my mouth, because that's how the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles did it.
0: (laughs) And you wanted to be, like...
1: cartoon character i I was yeah i was michelangelo and he talked out of the left side of his mouth so i did my best to just talk like this and uh i spent the whole year doing that shit could you imagine (laughs) social media oh my goodness i forgot about that one too yeah
0: yeah, it's uh, It's fun to reminisce about all the, the silly things that we did as we were growing up, but it's made us into who
1: we are today, yes. right? And so I wouldn't go back and change it. Uh, no, I wouldn't. I went through a phase where I was a pathological liar, you know, moving to town from the country, and I was um, overweight and socially awkward. And really poor. You know, we were uh, poverty-stricken at that point in our lives. If,
0: I, if memory serves, this story also ties into Brett Michaels. Yes, does it not?
1: yes. He was a big part of my childhood. Shout out to Brett Michaels. Um, we're big fans. Hope you're listening. Yeah, give me something to believe in, Brett. Um, ah, so this is this one's really rough, too. I, I was eight years old. We moved to town from the farm. And it's suddenly our poverty... Was suddenly a, I was aware of it. Because even in school, I went to school, I got on a bus, and I went home. Now, suddenly, I'm in town, I'm around other kids. They see when we play that I don't have any new toys, I don't have new clothes. Everything I wear is either rummage sale clothes, hand me downs. I, I never, until the age of nine, when my mom finally left my dad and she was responsible with money, was the first time I ever got an outfit from a store. Before that, I did not know what it was like to get shoes or clothes from a store. They just were handed to me out of a box. Um, But my childhood was okay, I I don't fault anybody. I just know what it's like to be poor. I know what it's like to be embarrassingly poor. And I know what it's like to move to town and the only person that you've ever really played with is your socially awkward brother and, and you've picked up some of his traits. So I was kind of a weirdo. Thank God I lifted, I, I picked up firewood every day all day and, and worked in a garden. I was strong uh, and I could fight. That was my saving grace. But my, <laughs> I went through a phase where I decided that since I didn't have anything, the way I would fit in is to become a ridiculous pathological liar. And um, I remember I was 11 and we started going to the skating rink. And I told everybody at the skating rink that I was related to Brett Michaels. And here's this poor kid who ain't got shit. And he's skating around. He's telling everybody how he's related to Brett Michaels. And Brett Michaels went to his birthday party. And I was going to see if he could come to my 12th birthday party. He might be on tour, you know. And uh, really believed that these kids believed me. And then I remember I told my friend Eli Keel... Uh, that when we went to my grandpa 's house, that me and my brother played war games with black powder rifles but don 't worry eli we don 't use enough powder to actually break the skin with the musket balls that when we shoot them like, it was like the, it was like modern day paintball with musket balls. we just put enough powder in to bruise each other you know and and, and as if that 's possible, and then if that is possible, as if my parents and my grandparents were okay with that kind of behavior but my the pinnacle of it was um, that that summer we had um, we put tents in our backyards and we had like camp outs at least once a week all summer. And one, su- and one night we were telling stories and stuff and all of my mom's family from Chicago. And I came up with this ridiculous tale about how my family in Chicago were all gang members who, who were drug smugglers. We were Crips conveniently because my favorite color at that point in my life was blue. Crips don't even, that's not even a Chicago gang. But um, we were Crips and we were smuggling drugs in fruit, through fruit in fruit stands. And we had stepped on the toes of some of the bloods and blood had been spilled. And I had been sent by the family out to Chicago to put in work. And now I was laying low back in Minnesota and everything was okay. But every time a car drives slowly down the street, I wonder if it's my past catching up with me. And like, because
0: that's what you do when you're laying uh, low is you tell a bunch of people about the <laughs> fact
1: that you're low. laying low. Yeah, a bunch low. of fellow 11-year-old kids. And this is the thing. It's embarrassing for me to talk about it, but it's pretty creative for an 11-year-old kid who had never seen The Godfather before. You know what I mean? Like I, I had come up with a Michael Corleone story without ever hearing the Michael Corleone story. So looking back now, I was pretty creative as a kid. I was embarrassingly awkward and embarrassingly poor. But... Um, once again, my my point of that is that we should all be able to relate, because I know kids that grew up with everything that they could want.
0: I grew up in the same town as you, and I would say my family is upper middle class. My mom uh, owned a children's clothing store, and so even though I had all the nice clothes, I envied the kids that didn't have the nice clothes. When it came to picture day, and again, I'll find a picture of myself to include in this, I was the kid that was at picture day wearing a little tiny suit and tie, <laughs> and I envied the kid that just got to have his picture taken in a T-shirt. <laughs> like I wanted that because I stood out like yeah. a sore thumb, being the one that was always dressed so nice. Yeah. So no matter what the circumstances, you saying like I never had like every, my clothes was just handed to me up until that point. And I had a good
1: outfit for picture day. I was the kid that looked the way you wanted to. I had a simple T-shirt that was clean with no holes in it. You know what I mean? So I I never thought of it that way. Yeah, so,
0: no, it's just, as a kid, everything's tough. But you've you've got to just think to yourself, what are you doing? What you were doing with those stories is you were trying to make friends. And in your mind, you were were convincing yourself, like, hey, these guys are my friends, and therefore they must be buying this. But you didn't understand your own self-worth, like... They liked you because you were creative, because yeah. you were a fun guy. They weren't looking at you like, oh, if he had nicer clothes, we'd probably like him. But, oh, wait, you have a story that you're hiding from the Bloods? Well, then we like you. <laughs> yeah. We'll uh, we'll discount the fact that you have crappy clothes. We'll like you, because apparently you're on the lam. Yeah.
1: Like, What's funny, too, is I never had a shortage of friends who wanted to hang out with me. I was over the top, and I was ridiculous. They didn't want to hang out with me. Like, exactly what you said, um... Even in my awkward years, I never had a shortage of friends, and I know I've been blessed by God with a personality that draws people around me. And that's not me; it's it's a it's something that I believe that's God. Um, and I don't. I hope that doesn't come out the wrong way. <laughs> but I'm just simply saying is that um, I've never needed to, add, and thank God for a mom who reined me in when I was young, and it was like you know what? It's okay if you want to say wouldn't it be cool if I was related to Brett Michaels? Or I when I told all the people that the nickname for Garrett was Brett and I tried to get everybody to call me Brett for like six months. In fact, John Offerdahl will still laugh and call me Brett. And I think he, I don't know. Sometimes I think he really still believes that that was the nickname, but then a lot of times I think he's just facetiously teasing me, um, reminding me that like Garrett, there was a time when you were over the top, but I love him and I know he loves me. Um, but even Alan Thomas, like uh, my mom used to call me Garrett Dean, and like he'll call his kids like I can't I don't know what his kids' names are, but he'll be like Jonathan Dean, and his wife's like uh, his middle name isn't Dean, and he's like yeah you don't get it it's for my child, <laughs> but um I didn't need to do all that crap they liked who I was, and thank God I had a mom that broke me of that because a couple times like when I'd get caught in a lie she'd be like you know how dumb you feel right now you don't ever have to feel that way again, you don't ever have to feel like that again. The way you prevent that is you don't do that dumb thing. Don't lie. Just the truth is good enough. And what's amazing is then I went on to live a life where it's interesting enough I don't have to lie. I've done enough stupid, crazy things. I've got a million stories that are true. I don't need to come up with fake stuff. I've lived. been to prison seven times. I've, I've dealt a lot of drugs in my lifetime. I'm not proud of those things, but they have created an irregular life that has filled my my history with stories that are well beyond um, the norm. I don't need to tell, I don't need to lie, you know?
0: You, you have, and I've told you this before, you have a very magnetic personality. Back in the days when you were dealing drugs, back in the days when I was living in your mom's house with you, yes, uh, Everyone wanted to come and hang out and they didn't want to come and hang out because you had the drugs. They wanted to come and hang out even there was times where you didn't have anything. But people wanted to hang out there because Yeah, they could have bought you... the drugs
1: and left. I never told them they had to stick around for Yeah. There was there was times in
0: the green room standing where there room was only. standing room only where people wanted to kinda of hang out and stay and we we're like, dude, we're not gonna spill over into a second room. Yeah. Huh. We're gonna just huh. uh have to ask you to go, yeah. like, you know. You almost Tomorrow needed you a doorman to have been like, yeah, you've been here for uh, an hour now. We're going to have to have you yeah, yeah. move along and uh, clear, up some space. clear up some space. But that, that was the way it was. And... Again, that's because people liked being around you. They didn't like being around you again because of the drugs. They didn't like being around you because it was like, oh, because of this style of clothes that you're wearing. Yeah. You're not, you know, wearing yeah. hand-me-downs. Or because I uh, knew Brett Michaels. Yeah. Or because you're obviously related to Brett Michaels. They didn't. It wasn't any of those things. It was you. And yet, throughout your life, you had even said, even to, up until this most recent time of being in prison, you didn't realize that. I didn't see my worth at all. You didn't see your
1: worth. I hated who I was even and and this is how I looked at it. it was like I'm fooling people because if they really knew me they'd know I'm worthless but I'm good at at uh, faking it I'm good at pretending I'm not really smart but I can memorize enough facts to be pa- that where I can bluff my way through something I'm not really funny I can just in the moment crack a good enough joke to make people smile I'm not really you know any of these things I'm just faking it, you know? And the, and, it, and the truth
0: is, I think everyone saw the real you other than you. Yeah. It wasn't you that saw that. You were the one who was like, yeah, this is a, I got a lot of plates in the air right now keeping yeah. this up. Like, you know, if one of them fell, people would realize
1: who I really am. And yeah. people already realized who you were. People realizing I'm not funny. I'm one math I'm one mathematical equation mistake away from people realizing I'm stupid that's how I looked at it like you're exactly right you're exactly right that's how I looked at everything was that it was all just phony you know I wasn't really any of those things The thing that I've tried to do uh with my children
0: specifically is just I want to encourage them to be who they are yes right I don't want to ever be the kind of parent who's like, yeah, could you tone it down a little bit? Could you do this? Could you do that? And I know that sometimes uh, for Kieran and Keely specifically, their mom – she thinks I'm mad she thinks I'm out of my mind where I'm the one who's singing with Keely as she's just randomly singing weird things like no I want to encourage that because she's only going to be this way for so long and eventually she's going to start being kind of self-conscious she is self-conscious when she's out in public you've seen her around you she's not just right off the bat outgoing Uh Because she understands, okay, I don't really know this person, but I want to foster an environment where like, hey, if you feel like just belting out a song in front of dad, he'll join in. Yeah. Like, don't, don't feel self-conscious. That's right. There's plenty of things in this world to make not only children yeah. in those formative years or even, yeah, you know, they, these years they they be to be self-conscious.
1: Your personality is beautiful and whatever comes out of you is, is precious. As long as it's not offensive, harmful to others, you know what I mean? But- your creativity is what makes you awesome. I love that you do that. I love that you do that. Cause I, I if I had had a dad, that my mom was always, create, you know, uh, to a degree, you know. Um, and there is the, there is a, there is a balance there. Where have you ever seen the Alaskan bush people? Yes. yeah. Somebody should have told some of them kids to tone that shit down. Thirty-five years old and you're running through the woods on all fours, howling with dirt all over your chest. Calm that shit down, dude. (laughs) Uh, The one guy thinks he's an inventor and he's walking around with a cane calling himself a renaissance man. Dude, you're a weirdo. I'm sorry. That probably doesn't fit into what we're talking about. I just, I don't know. For some reason, I thought of the Alaskan Bush people. And I just remember a couple times thinking, like, maybe uh, maybe they're acting for the camera. I don't know. But I, I wish that my dad, when I was younger, when he, so when he caught me doing strange things and stuff, he would have been like, you know what, boy, that's what makes you special, is that you don't think like the average person. You don't do things according to the norm, and that's what makes you awesome. I wish that had been spoken into me. Maybe I wouldn't have hated myself for the first 35 years of my life. It's,
0: it, you know, tying back into kind of the name of the whole podcast, though, what are you doing, is when you have somebody, then you can look back now and look at, well, why did your dad maybe stifle creativity you start to understand what they dealt with man, growing up man. you know you can understand like oh maybe the reason you know the, I, I watch when we were talking a little bit about different television shows you watch some of these shows where these like the hoarder shows where it's like these people collect everything it's because they had a time where they had nothing and so they're gonna save that extra electrical cord and be like you know what maybe we can repurpose that yeah. at some point And it's like do you really need 300 of those though yeah. But in their mind, they grew up in a time where, no, you didn't have stuff. So then when all of a sudden they had the ability to save things, they kind of just went into overload with that, and they were saving everything.
1: My, my brother talks about poverty. Do you, did, you, did you read my Facebook post about poverty? Yeah. That was my brother's thoughts. And he says that poverty is more than a lack of possessions. It's actually a lack of hope. It's a lack of realizing that you'll ever be more than who you are in the very moment. That you're never going to be more than your father's son or your mother's daughter. And that's all you'll ever be. And it rips into your very fabric and it whispers into your ear that hope is for fools. That you can never rise out of your current situation and your current stature. You can never rise out of the the family structure that you came from. You will never grow beyond what your dad or your mom was that you that you—it's not possible. Poverty robs hope, and when you say that about hoarders, that's exactly true. That if you've ever, you know, people don't crave what they had enough of as a kid. You don't. You crave what you didn't get. And um, there was a period in my life where I thought that it was cool to uh, prey upon um, uh, females who had. Not had certain aspects of their life and I knew that like oh, I can play checkers with them If they want to play checkers, I can play checkers. Oh, you didn't you didn't get enough love or you didn't get enough uh, Affirmation as a when you were young. Oh, yeah, I'll do that You know, you're you're really sweet. You know what I mean? And that's really unhealthy and it's, it's damaging but the truth is is that Every one of us has holes Wounds from when we were young and like you said you didn't grow up in abject poverty but you grew up without certain things that you needed. Um, and it affects you to this day. And, and it affects me to this day. And, and the best thing that we can do as adults is get to a point where we can say, um, you know, one thing, other thing as children, we never recognized that the stuff that was done that was wrong to us was not our fault. Like, it's, it's impossible for a child to say, my mom and dad might not have been that good at being a mom and dad. No, as a child... You process it and you say something must be wrong with me that my uh, the the weight of the idea that our parents might be defective or 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 below the standard in certain areas was just too big of an idea and and to this day I love my mom and I love my dad my mom did the best she could with what she had I don't feel like my dad always did but my mom made mistakes that damaged me and they harmed me um and I can say that out loud because my mom knows that I appreciate the way she raised me. She did the best she could with what she had. But the fact is, is that um, every one of us has that damage done to us. Whether it was something as simple as you're a sensitive kid and your dad got home from work tired every night and he whenever went out and played catch with you. And he's like, oh, a freaking kid, all he ever wanted was to throw a baseball around. And- you know, you, you'd go back to, again, uh, what are you doing? If you,
0: uh, what you're doing is looking for something to complain about, you'll find it. Oh, yeah. You'll definitely find it. Again, I grew up in a, class, in a family that was upper middle class. We had a computer in our house when the schools were just getting computers. My parents felt like, hey, this is something we could do. I don't know how much they paid for their very first Apple IIe computer with just the green and black like screen. But right I guarantee back. it was a lot of money. We didn't, however. I've never been to Disney World. I've never been to you know things like that. My family didn't go on like, hey, we're gonna go. It's the summertime. Let's go to let's go to uh, Valley Fair because my parents always thought, hey, we'd rather have the nicer things here at home that you can have all the time instead of just this. And I remember... Forget memories. (laughs) I remember going through a time thinking like, you know, whenever you whatever happens when you pass over to the other side, if anything you can take with you, it's not a physical object. It's not the the nice TV or the nice computer. It's the memories of doing those things. So I held that against them. Like, Mm -hmm. why did you not let us have memories of going to, you know, Valley Fair, going to Disney World? Because would have cost a lot of money to take our whole family. You know, I've got four uh, siblings. It would have cost a lot of money to take us on a family outing like that. Sure. And so in my mind, I was like, but that's something that we could have taken with us. You know, how about the memories of having a computer where you could play the games that kids in school could play for so an you're hour? you
1: telling me you had Oregon Trail in your house? No comment. You ungrateful bastard. It, but that—that's the whole point. Is if I wanted to complain,
0: I could look at it as yeah. what didn't I have? Oh, I didn't have trips to Valley Fair. I didn't have trips to Disney World. Well, what did I have? What are you doing here? Are you going to just look for something to complain about? Yeah. You'll find it. it. You'll definitely find it. it Where somebody else could be complaining, like, well, I didn't have a computer in my house. Yeah, my family took me to Valley we, Fair. They took
1: me to Disney World, but I didn't have this. We didn't so, have air conditioning until I was sixteen. I went to bed every night when it was 95 degrees and it was miserable. Our answer, my mom would be like, uh, "Take a cool shower and lay in front of the fan." Well, within 10 minutes you're sweating again. Doesn't freaking matter, you know? Um, it's funny that you say that because like, um, you had a VCR when you were a little kid, probably. You guys had movies in a VCR. We probably had one before most people did. Yeah. Um, we didn't have a VCR until I was 12. You know what we used to do is my mom would rent the video projector from the... Uh, uh, she would rent a video projector from the library. Not
0: even rent it, because you could, I think, just check it out. Yeah, we free. didn't
1: have money to rent it. We yeah. just checked out the video projector, and she hung a white, screen, a white sheet in the, in the living room, and we all sat around and ate some popcorn on a blanket and watched Top Gun and dirty dancing for the 15th time cuz that was the only two decent movies they had at the library. So um it's funny that you say that because the one thing that my mom did do every year as poor as she was is that she would save up enough money to buy Valley Fair tickets and take us to Valley Fair one day and she would fill her car with two coolers and she would put lunch meat and cheese and mayo And she'd have loaves of bread, and she'd have Little Debbie's and some sodas. And we didn't have no money to eat out at Valley Fair, but we had all the food. We would never be hungry or thirsty. And we each got a trunk key. She wouldn't let us have it. You don't need to get in the car, but you can get in the trunk and eat. And we were able to go to Valley Fair and have fun. And that was the one thing a year that she did for us, that she could afford. She could save. It took her all year to save up enough to do that. And it's funny how you say that. Like I would have loved to have been the kid, because what do I crave? I wish we would have had air conditioning before I was old enough to drive. I wish we could have had a VCR before I was old enough that I didn't want to let it sit around and watch movies. So those were the things. I wish I had decent pants that weren't embarrassing. I wish that my family had had enough food in the cupboards to where we didn't have to eat chow mein three days in a row because that's what we had left. Um, And then you're looking at it and you're saying, I wish I could have went to Valley Fair every year. Like That would have been an amazing memory. I wish... I wish my dad was a truck driver and would have hauled me out to California and Florida and Texas and got to visit these places. It's amazing how we can both sit here coming from two different directions, and we can either focus on what we didn't get, or you can say, man, I didn't have to live without basic creature comforts. And I could say, man, I got a lot of really cool memories. Even though we didn't have shit, my family made sure I got to do some stuff.
0: It it reminds me of, uh, I remember a post- on Facebook a while back this is years ago probably before the last time you went in and it was people talking about situations and you know blaming circumstances and how you grew up for the actions that you take and it wasn't necessarily you in particular but but something that was going on in the news and it really made me think about the situation that we grew up in so your brother Dale is the same age as me. My brother, Logan, is the same age as you. Same grade and everything. Same grade and everything. So you take two different environments, upper middle class, me and Logan, and what would you say you grew up as? Middle class, lower middle class?
1: Um, If there's something
0: below lower middle class. So upper lower class. We're really breaking it down here, folks. I I just mean, I would say I grew up well below the poverty line. What I really want to point out is Dale is the kind of person that, again, as I had mentioned earlier, you would ask him what his five-year plan. He could tell you his 10-year plan, his 15-year plan. He always had things planned out. Dale did not get into the kind of trouble that you got into. Not at all. Logan, my younger brother, who's the same age as you, grew up in the same circumstances that I had And didn't get into trouble. So you can take somebody who grew up in upper middle class and got into shitloads of trouble because of the choices they made. I'm talking about me. And you take somebody who grew up in a different situation and got into trouble. Unlike your brother, who grew up in that same situation. So what the reason you and I got into the shit that we got into is because of choices that we made. It wasn't because, oh, if Garrett would have just grown up in an upper-middle-class situation, he might not have got into trouble. (laughs) Really? Because Keir did, and Keir got into trouble. And Dale grew up in the same situation as you and didn't get into trouble. Logan grew up in the same situation as me and didn't get into trouble, whereas you, same age as Logan... Got into trouble. So it was, again, it was something in the news and some people were going off on the fact that, like, they didn't have opportunity and they didn't this. They may have been in a different situation, given different opportunities, but it all comes down to your choice. What are you doing with 100%. that? What are you doing with your upper middle class upbringing here Yeah. if you're still making stupid choices?
1: I, I have never once blamed the abject poverty that I grew up in on the criminality that I committed. Because at the end of the day, by the time I started committing crimes, my mom was uh, pretty much through college and was an RN, and I was wearing nice clothes. I had nice... The The poverty affected me mentally, but it's not an excuse. Like you said, my brother went through the same poverty, and he doesn't have a criminal record. My older sister went through horrible... Um, abuse from my, from my dad, her stepdad and things like that. And she does never, doesn't have a criminal record. Um, so it's absolutely true that, that that's not a, uh, that's not an excuse. That's not, you know, I, I think that there are certain times that, that certain, um, I think trauma as a child is a much better indicator of, Everybody deals with it differently. But trauma, I don't believe addiction is actually a substance abuse problem. I believe it's a childhood trauma problem. I believe that when I started smoking marijuana, that the reason everybody else around me that was smoking marijuana started smoking marijuana. and like, Oh, that was cool. We should do that next Friday. I took three hits of marijuana and was like, I don't want to live without this for more than four hours for the rest of my life. I want to have enough of this on me that I can stay stoned for the rest of my life. I do not want to sober up from this at all. Because for the first time, I could tell the voice in the back of my head that constantly criticized me and everything else to shut up for a while. But when that when that wore off and I didn't have any more, that voice was louder than ever. And that voice came from trauma. That voice came from childhood trauma. And that's not to make excuses or to blame. But I would say that if there was one single... Not to be off subject, but if there was one single factor in what caused my criminality more than anything else and my addiction, it was the trauma that I went through as a kid.
0: And I I would agree with that because I, looking back, have had trauma in my childhood that I don't think everyone deals with. I don't know that my siblings dealt with uh, the same trauma that I had. And again, I'm not making an excuse because I still decided to shoplift. I still decided to do drugs. I still decided like, Hey, uh, my friends are saying that, uh, you know what? Sticking a needle in your arm will get you higher if you, you know, if you try it that way. So I was like, well, I've got clean needles. Why not?
1: Yeah. And I Uh, think about it. You are the one in your family that did. Your siblings are all pretty successful. Um, they definitely are not
0: uh, – I am the black sheep of my family yeah. by far. I've even said to my younger siblings, like, you know, uh, a little gratitude would be nice because I've made all the bad choices. You now going through life, all you have to think is, is this something Kira would do? And if the answer is yes and you do a complete 180, you should be good to go. Yeah. You should be good to go because uh, – I wrote I wrote your success and my failure. Exactly.
1: That's
0: um, You know, I say that in jest, but uh, – I did definitely make choices. I remember telling my parents once when, when they're like, well, we thought that you just like smoked some pot. They didn't realize that like, no, at one point I was sticking needles in my arm. I was trying to find the vein in my arm by the moonlight of the full moon to be like, yeah. And then I was like, what the, what are you doing? <laughs> what are you doing? Uh, yeah. but it was my choice. It wasn't like, well, I got to find this, this vein in my arm because mom and dad didn't take me to Valley yeah. Fair when I was 14 yeah. years old. And God, if they would have done that, I wouldn't be making the choices I'm making yeah. right now.
1: Or, like, I, I never broke into a place to steal to get drugs. And I was like, damn you, dad, for making fun of my haircut in seventh grade. Like, that doesn't... That's not the case. That's thats a good way to put it. So, yeah,
0: i uh, I think... If if Tying back into what you said, the formative years, um, I hope none of my children go through trauma or the older ones have gone through trauma like that, Uh, but I hope that they would understand that I, all of them, love them just the way that they are. I remember my daughter Hannah having a situation that occurred and her mother kind of told me about it and she had come over for the weekend, Hannah had, and... Didn't really talk about it at all on the weekend and driving her back to St. James thinking like, you know, definitely want to bring this up at some point. Like, I can't just not bring it up. And I kind of prayed on it and was like, what should I say? What should I say to her? Like, she's dealing with a lot of stuff. You know, she's probably embarrassed. I know that she probably is thinking, when is this going to come up? And when I prayed on it, God was just saying to me, like, how about you just tell her you love her? And so when I got back Finally like the whole drive home We didn't talk about it at all And when I got back I was like Well you know we're here at your house now And I know that you know that I know And so um, I told her I was like I prayed and I didn't know What to say I didn't want to say something that would hurt you um, Or make you feel any more Embarrassed about this situation coming to light And so This is what I'm going to say I love you. That's it. And she started crying and just gave me, like, the longest hug that I can remember having from her in, like, the longest time. And that's all I said. I just told her I love you, and we're just going to leave it at that. Just know that I love you.
1: Looking back in retrospect, is there anything else you could have said that would have been better? No. That's the perfect answer. And that's what the kid needs to hear in those awkward years. More than ever, more than... You can't say it enough when they become an adult to make up for not saying it when they're in that age. You will miss out on the opportunity of forming your child's identity. If you don't... My dad spent my years from 18 to 24 when he passed away. I was 24, 23 actually. I was almost 24 when he passed away. He spent the last years of his life trying to build me up and it just felt uncomfortable the whole time. And now I look back, I really appreciate that he made the effort. And I believe the things that he said now, but at that time I was like, you can't tell me from the age of 12 to 17, that I was an idiot, that I was a loser, that I was a, that I, there was something wrong with me. You can't tell me all this. And then at 18, suddenly realized that that was wrong and then start trying to say the other stuff. He missed that window. I'm thankful today that I don't believe any of those things. But uh, one thing I want to say too, is that you will know that you have finally dealt with those things when you own them. And you will know you own them when you can talk about them without shame. Four years ago, I could have never sat here and told the stories that I've told today because they were a source of humiliation. That was a period of my life that I had blocked off and just said it never happened. There was a period of my life that I got defensive about when other people brought up. I might even be able to laugh if one of my childhood friends was like, Oh, remember when you remember the Brett Michaels thing? And I would be like, yeah, yeah, that's funny. Yeah, I get it. But I didn't want it to go any further than that. Now I can tell the story because I own my past. My past doesn't own me. Um, and I'm so thankful for that because looking at it now, um, that's the litmus test for me. And if I feel like there's a part of my past that I don't want to talk about, that's something I need to take to God and I need to hand to him because that's what I say to him, I'm like, all right, God, I can't deal with this. And I find that that's where I get my healing is when I'm able to take it to my creator and I'm able to say, this was really embarrassing. And I hand it to him and he says, but it's not your identity. Uh, and then sometimes he's like, you don't see the humor in it? <laughs> and I'm like, one last thing. I got just enough time to tell this. Um, and I hope that this makes you smile. Um, I, was, I was a little kid and my father, Ex-Navy SEAL, he was an intimidating looking man You knew my dad You didn't know him when he was young, but you knew my dad And he always had a shaved head And he had these sideburns And he had this, the Hulk Hogan mustache, the handlebars And they, it was a red mustache And I remember And now my beard, I have a giant red beard And I remember thinking Someday I'm going to have whiskers like my dad And I was just preoccupied with that right of manhood And I got a fake razor At the dollar store and used all my mom's Shaving cream in one week Fake shaving the way my dad did Which was funny, because he didn't use shaving cream. He dry shaved with a straight razor that added to his mystique, you know? And I just remember um, being excited that someday I was going to have facial hair. And then at 15, my facial hair came in. And I was traumatized, because it came in white and wispy, almost like pubes in a way. And it was just this weird little white wispy beard. And I looked, being fat, I looked like a pubescent Santa Claus. It was horrible. So shaving was not a thing of excitement, it was a drudgery. Just get this crap off my face, how could I have, why was I given white facial hair? And I remember, luckily by the time I was 17, my chin came in uh, red, so for like two years I just had that little scrotum, you know, sack off my chin there. My mustache didn't turn red until I was 21, so if I grew that out, it looked like I had a third eyebrow on my face, because my eyebrows are white. Long story short, I'm sitting on my mom's uh, couch by myself in the house at 15 years old watching TV, and an air commercial came on. And I had seen that commercial many times in the past, but I had never noticed what it was about. And suddenly, as the Who Wears Short Shorts jingle ran through my ears and the, the smoothness of the model's legs, entered, I realized, oh, that stuff takes hair off their legs without shaving. Wait a minute. All this time I've been shaving like a sucker? I ran into the bathroom, and I found the pink bottle. Of course, it's pink, like with an aura of harmlessness. And I looked at the back, and it said, put it on your, put it on your skin for six to seven minutes, and uh, then wash it off. And then it had a bunch of admonitions and warnings, but I didn't have time for that. My new life lay in my hands, and I had to try it out. So I squirt a big glob on my hand. I rub it between my palms, and I wipe it on my face, and it immediately begins to make my face tingle. And I'm like, it's working. It's really working. So I set a timer. I go out and start watching TV. I think it was Family Matters on a Friday night. I'm watching Ercole, and I just remember it starts burning, and I'm like, ooh, that hurts. And I'm like, well, uh, gotta live with it, you know. You want you want to, you want pro- progress. You gotta you know you gotta deal with a little pain. By seven minutes, my face was on fire, and when I washed it off, I had second-degree chemical burns all over my cheeks. It looked like I had, like, the worst case of lupus anybody had ever seen, and I was traumatized. And I remember telling my mom, my mom, who was very strict about going to school, let me skip a couple days of school and let my face heal. And uh, I would have never told anybody that. That was, oh, my God, that was so stupid of me. Uh, But looking at it now... um, I just look back at the fact that uh, I'm happy I have a red beard today, but I can remember that awkward phase of my life, and I remember hating uh, just another thing that I hated about myself, and now I own it because um, I've been through a process in my life where I know who I am now.
0: So you do have a very impressive full red beard. You were saying at first your mustache wasn't red like it is now. No, I I just want to know if there's hope for me because I can't grow an impressive beard um, if anyone's familiar with the movie Joe Dirt, that would be the closest comparison to what you I'm mean able your to accomplish. Hair, you mean you're in so facial... ingrained
1: in white trash DNA that your
0: facial hair grows in all white trashy like that? Yeah, I don't know exactly what you're talking about, but that's what's going on. Yes. Uh, so, uh, on that, I think we're going to wrap things up. We've been talking for just short of uh, an about an hour. So, um, I hope. Anyone out there who's actually listening? Again, I think maybe there's 10 of you. Probably not. It's probably just five people that have listened a couple times each. Um, if you would like to reach out and contact us, there is an actual website, uh, uh, an email address, and I'm going to remember it this time. I couldn't even remember it when I was doing the episode with Wendy. It's contactus, uh, at com. So that's C-O-N-T-A-C-T-U-S at... W A Y D T H E E L E P H A N T dot com. All,
1: right. All right. Thanks oh, for listening. One last thing. I have a podcast. It's Chris, Christian Inspirational Stories. It's called Redeemed and Relieved Every Day. R A R E. It's on the podcast. Redeemed and Relieved Every Day. And I just want to say God bless you to everybody out there. I hope this helps you in some way. All right. Thanks for listening.